0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. This is Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran from the NYPD. I retired as a detective sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Summer Wells case. And we we spoke about it last night. I was on Duty Ron's show last night. Uh, and we brought on an amazing guest uh, named Barbara Butcher. And I'm just going to uh, I'm going to defer to her what we spoke about with her last night. Um, I'm going to I'm going to put her up on the screen because I found um, her what she said so relevant to uh, what we're talking about here. And w- when w- there's so many people talking about this case, and perhaps it gets a, very much unprofessional. So we're going to listen to a professional talk about this case, about what occurred here.
1: Now, I hope Barbara doesn't block my phone after this, but I called her. I called <laughs> she, her. she might, she might. If she does, I know where she lives now. I'll come back <laughs> now. Um, but I called her because I want to go to an expert. And I asked Barbara, would you please take a peek at this photograph? And she kindly said, yes, duty Ron, I'll look at it, send it to me. So Barbara, I'm going to put this photograph up and I want you to just um, uh, you take it from from there. I'm, uh, I'm going to put it up and I'll go full screen on it so everyone has a good view. Can you see this good, Barbara?
2: Yes, that's perfect. Right there. Yeah, just come in another little notch there, Ron. Okay. Perfect. Okay. okay. Um, I, I, you know, I think you have to look at the evidence, right? and the evidence, the best evidence is the little girl's color. Um, Her lips are rosy pink, Um, her color is good, there's a slight blush in her cheek, Um, and her eyes don't get that, don't have that bluish tinge, the eyelids that they sometimes get where the skin is so thin that in a deceased person you know without blood you're seeing a very pale almost blue look now i, I see that her temples on you know bilaterally there they're, they're shaded a tiny bit um and that is um you know so I, I think some people have you know indented um the sides of their skulls here i know i do a lot of people have that and i think that's between that and and the shadow of her hair um that's what you're seeing i i don't you know, I don't call that bruising or anything else. Um, the other thing to notice is her little hands. Um, you know, the way kids sleep, their little hands curl up and then they kind of jump. And um, it, it looks like she's just sort of fallen asleep, dozed off on the milk,
1: Um I've joined, you, I've joined you here Barbara not to cut you off because I wanted to point out these areas on the temple right here that I Have my cursor going around. I know it's hard to see. Yeah, uh, but here uh, on right and left uh, the right and left temple area mm-hmm. this, this was some of the areas that people homed in on and with conversations that I saw they said this looks like bruising here now it's consistent on both sides and I don't know if this was from a day uh, or an hour at the swimming watering hole or um, mm. or if this is something that is normal for her. But you as a professional here, you don't see anything with that, right?
2: No, I. you know, you're seeing the, the shadow of her temples and you're seeing the shadow of her hair and the particular turn of the lighting. As you can see right over her forehead there, right over her bangs, there's a dark... You know, shadow over her hair. Okay. Um, I, 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 I couldn't possibly call that an injury. Looking at this photograph, but her position—you um, know, her her neck—if she were dead, you would see a sag at the angle of her neck there. But she's not. She's propped against the milk container because that's how she conked out
1: so the sag would be down here by her if we're looking if we're standing behind it would be her right cheek here right
2: just just in from there just down toward the shoulder
1: right between the 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 blue the red sign on the carton and here at the shoulder. yeah
2: okay yeah you'd see more her you know i think you'd see her neck sagging more because if she would truly limp truly dead right um And, I mean, then someone could say, oh, perhaps she's got rigor mortis. Perhaps she died in this particular position. And that doesn't seem likely at all. She's laying exactly on those milk containers, the way her shoulder fits over the bottom container there. Um, This, to me, looks just like a little girl who fell asleep in the car. Now, we
0: we brought her on specifically because she's an expert. Uh, We introduced her. She is a retired chief of staff of the New York City office of the chief medical examiner. And for 23 and a half years, she was a medical legal investigator. So she has been to approximately 680 homicide scenes. And really, we brought her to the scene to dispel one of these Internet rumors telling us, that uh, Summer was dead in that picture in the car.
1: Right. And, you know, Bill, let me just say, first off, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here on Police Off the Cuff. As law enforcement professionals, this is what we like to do. We like to bring the police perspective to the audience, to the folks who follow true crime, to some of the people who are following these cases, whether they're, you know, mothers, grandmothers, fathers, you know, sisters, brothers. Everybody has an interest when it comes to a child, this is a very, you know, it, it tugs at everybody's heart. But at the end of the day, you need to have valid information. And the reason you and I both got together and we came to the conclusion that Barbara Butcher was the perfect person for this is because of the misinformation that has been spoken about. Now, again, people are entitled to speak without whatever, whatever they want to speak about. But when it comes to these cases, I think it does a lot of harm when uh, a lot of falsehoods are being reported and people are drawing conclusions. So I thought it was a great idea to have her come on just to give an educational um, conversation about uh, this particular situation and this particular rumor, and she did a fantastic job because she's a consummate professional, uh, just like you are in the homicide uh, field. You know, you've uh, been on the scene of many, many different high-profile cases, low-profile cases, and everything in between. So and when you speak, I listen. And I think everybody else here in the audience has to agree. You know, when you have a 27-year homicide detective sergeant and 16 out of those 27 years were supervising um, homicides, you know, uh, you're somebody to listen to. So,
0: Well, I appreciate that, Ron. And one of the things that we um, sort of advertise tonight, and one of the things that is very important in homicide investigation is what we call a timeline. And the timeline in this case, to me, is at best very sketchy because the timeline is not put forth by the police or by the FBI or by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. It's put forth by these Internet sleuths, and they're actually interviewing some of the players in this case. And Mm. I don't trust the timeline, you know, because unless it's put forth by the actual investigators that interviewed these people at length and not just interviewed one or two, but Uh, vetted the information against other information. For example, timestamps. And timestamps can be receipts from a store. They can be phone calls. They can be a car going through an easy pass lane. They can be video. Those are true blue timestamps. And that's what can verify and vet the information that you get from witnesses. But when you get internet sleuths claiming that this is a solid timeline, this is what happened, and this is when when it happened, I don't really trust it. So I wanted to go over with you as close as we could get uh, what, what we think the timeline is.
1: Can I, can I just interject one thing there, Bill, because you brought up a great point. Uh, the Internet folks who are following, that's the Facebook groups, the people who are in um, YouTube videos. Uh, but But these folks go by what's being reported and also what Candace Wells and Donald Wells has spoken about and other various family members. And I think it's important that everybody understands that, you know, we all have the right to speak to whoever we want to speak to. But when it comes to a sensitive investigation where it involves a five-year-old girl or any child or any criminal activity, if you start investigating and and, and, and interviewing people that could be potential witnesses, not just now, but now become potential perpetrators in the crime, now you're talking about you're going to be subpoenaed to Tennessee to testify. If you live in Alaska, you're going to be subpoenaed to Tennessee. If you live in California, you're going to be subpoenaed to Tennessee. And that's the thing is that people don't understand is that when you start speaking to people, they might be innocent or in your mind innocent right now. But once an investigation unfolds and it leads down a different road, now we can have a whole new set of, uh, of things going on.
0: You know, Ron, you're so uh, correct with that. And I don't think people understand uh, real criminal minds and real criminal nature. Because, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Don, in this case, he, he's had a pretty substantial criminal background, you know. And as that, I, I consider him pretty, pretty slick when he talks to people, you know. Yeah. He keeps that monotone voice. He keeps his body language to a minimum. Uh, and I just, I just think that it doesn't help when people that are not the police interview him. Uh, purportedly, right. no one on the internet is solving this case. You know, uh, it's going to be solved by the police and it's going to be solved by investigators from TBI and the FBI.
1: You know, the reason I uh, I showed three very um, high profile criminal cases, one that was just recent with um, the little boy from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, um, Amari. I showed those three not to sensationalize or not to make people go, oh, my goodness. I showed those clips because those were folks that were people, were chattering about them that they were innocent at some points or another. Uh, And and people were saying, don't draw conclusions. Don't point your fingers at these people. They're innocent until proven guilty. And that is what we're provided, and that's what we're afforded under the Constitution uh, in, in America. So you're innocent until proven guilty. But at the end of the day, Bill, those folks were being talked about in those uh, fake book uh, news groups and on the ch- on the chatter in the chatter sphere and Twitter sphere, whatever you want to call it. They were being talked about as being innocent and stop pointing the fingers at them. Like I said from the beginning, Barry Morphew is 100 uh, percent guilty and has something to do with his wife's disappearance. And I wasn't even sure about the Trevor Noel kid, but. He didn't get charged, but Barry did. And I said it from the get-go, and I got a lot of flack for it. But that was my, gut inst- my gun instinct as a detective and as an investigator. You know, you and I have the advantage over, like, people that have not been in this career or been in this uh, profession. We've seen evil right in front of us and tell us straight to our face, I did not commit this crime. And then after hours and hours of interview and interrogation, we turn them around and then place the handcuffs on them. Most folks here can't say that they've done that, and that's the difference in the in experience that you and I have to offer in uh, and, and other law enforcement retired professionals on YouTube.
0: A hundred percent. You know, and having said that, I want to now show one of the first um, interviews uh, that they did with um, Don and, and his and, and his wife, uh, Rose Bly. Oh, that's like, excuse me, not Rose Candace, Bly. Candice Bly. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to show one of the first interviews. And um, we're going to we're going to get into a rose fly after this. So.
3: I feel in my heart that somebody has came up here and took her and has lured her away from here. Me and my mother and her were planting flowers. And we went in after we got done washing our hands and she got a piece of candy from grandma and she wanted to go back over and see her brothers. And I said, OK. And I walked her all the way over to the porch. And I watched her walk into the kitchen where the boys were watching TV. And I told the boys, I said, watch Summer, I'll be back. And within two minutes I came back and I asked the boys where their sister was. And they said, she went downstairs to to play with her toys in the playroom. I said, okay. And I yelled downstairs for her a couple times and I didn't get no answer which was unusual because usually she always answers me. And so I went down there to check and she was nowhere in sight. She was just gone. I don't go on walks around here or runs because I'm scared of the bears and snakes and even the coyotes that are around here. Well, whoever has my daughter, I pray and hope that they have not harmed her and they bring her back to us safe and sound.
4: Just turn, I mean, go to the FBI, the police, and uh, clear it up. I mean, I don't know. It seems kind of elusive.
3: It's really strange that I've never seen this truck and I've never heard of it until just recently. But, but I wish they would come forward and explain themselves. I and mean, if you're not a suspect, they at least come forward and say what you've seen she was a tomboy i shaved my head she wanted to have her head shaved like me and the boys did
4: she tried to shave her head she tried to make it uh, i think you can see it in some of the pictures and it was getting out of control so she we decided to shave her head off and let it grow back long and she shaved her head to to so she wouldn't feel bad and uh but But it didn't bother her at this point. Well, we knew—I knew right away that she was abducted. You know, I knew that right away, and that's what I told them from the beginning. But they have to—they have to go through their—you know—I forget the
3: word—investigation.
4: They have to do one step at a time, I guess. But I'm sorry that they had to spend so many man hours in these woods and everything. I've seen them limping and everything else, you know, and I feel for them, but. I just wish there was a way that neighbors could search neighbors' houses and then if they're not willing, you know, get a search warrant or something. But there's just no way you can search every single house, you know, in the eastern United States or whatever. But I wish there was a way. Just thankful for the person or persons that's doing that you know out of love trying it. trying to get information and trying to get her found and we thank them from the bottom of our hearts it means and, a
3: lot
4: and we thank uh everybody who's trying so hard and praying so hard and she's a awesome young lady and uh, we just want her back yeah there's always going to be haters you know and you know, it's always going to be that way in this world, and we just want to focus on the the good friends and Christian people that are trying to help us and praying for us and praying for summer. And uh, we thank them from the bottom of our hearts, and that's the kind of people we try to relate with and socialize with. So we don't know anything about, you know, no red truck, or we hardly know many of our neighbors. I mean, because... We just try to be around good people. I mean, and we do have good people in this area. We found out since this has all happened. We got some real good neighbors and good folks everywhere.
3: But uh, the most important thing is to bring Summer home safe. I'm sorry that you feel this way about us, but we love our children with everything we have. We've never went without, thanks to Summer's daddy and my husband. He's always provided for us and has worked as much as he could and can and still is. And I'm sorry that you guys feel that way, but that's my baby. And nobody would ever treat her like that as long as I was around ever
4: she loves to she loves to dance she she would always want me she says daddy hold my hand so i can twirl and she would she would just like to twirl and twirl and twirl till my arm got tired <laughs> you know but and you know I, I put out there that one of can uh, one of summer's favorite songs was uh godzilla and they say you know and they're jumping all over me about past tense was you know well I'm sorry about that.
3: Just... She also liked the song um by a New Breed. It was called House, My House. She sung that a lot of times when I play it on the TV. She loved to dance.
4: She liked to think of herself as a princess, and uh, you know, and all that like all young girls do.
3: And uh... she loved Frozen. She loved to be that Elsa and.
4: And I think she really loved to be in church because she felt a lot of love there. And I think it's, you can't explain what that love is, but you feel it and you know it, you know, when you're young. And she felt that there and, and she loved everybody in that church or she loves everybody in that church. I should rephrase that because they'll tear that apart as past tense. And I apologize again for that. I hope she gets to come home, you know, and I hope she gets to be with our church family again.
3: Our best friend in that yeah. church was Robin. She loved you know, her to death.
4: Yeah, you know, she looked up to when women sh- that were. She
3: come to that church. She went looking for Robin. That was her favorite person.
4: Any woman that uh, was professional, that it Was pretty, yeah, beautiful. she looked up to those kind of women. She, you know, they were how uh, do the word I'm looking for? Uh, Absolutely. She looked up to him.
0: Look around. The world is... <clears throat> well, you know, this. Uh, that past video has been shown and analyzed and reanalyzed. It's There's been um, body language experts reviewing it. But yet, I mean, it doesn't make me feel good. I'll put it that way. When I watch that, it... Uh, it makes me feel that there's uh, some cul- culpability there. And when we talk about, uh, and I don't want to call this a homicide, but she's been missing now for, uh, I think it's been like 25 days, you know. And, and we hope that she is found alive and she comes back and they, they find her alive. But there, I always like to get back to what I call the victimology, and that's the study of the victim. And when you look at the, the, the parents here, it, it occurs to me that someone in their circle, if it's not them, someone in their circle is responsible for this. And the answer is in the victimology, in studying who, they, who, who do they let into their life? Who do they let see their kids? Who do they let have contact with their kids? You know, right away, uh, Don said that he thinks she was abducted, which I thought was a bit of a strange um, thing to say. And again, they kept referring to her in the past tense, which also doesn't make me feel very good. What do you think about that duty, Ron?
1: You know, Bill, I got to agree with you. You know, of course, as I always say, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Uh, My first uh, uh, my first look at Don was when he was uh, talking to the media with his arm around his son and his son was looking down at the floor and he was talking about the story. The unverified timeline, because it has not been put out by TBI and FBI, uh, to me, this is what we have to go with. And every time I look at this, I just get a bad taste in my mouth. And I'm not saying that they're 100 percent guilty, but I definitely don't get a good feeling about it Uh, again speaking in past tense, uh, not concentrating on the bulk of the conversation about their daughter. The, the, I see more time of them trying to defend themselves against the Internet people that are coming after them. They should be more concerned about where the hell their daughter is and trying to defend their talking in past tense and keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Um, so these are a lot, a lot of red flags for me. And as an investigator, it just throws me right off because if it was my kids and it was my wife and I sitting there, she would be, we would be screaming from the rooftops, you know, where are our, where is our daughter? And um, I would certainly be holding her and comforting her. And I don't see any emotion. I don't see anything from these people. So for me, and, and, and I had an FBI uh, polygraph expert come on and said he didn't feel that they were being deceptive. And you know what? Everybody's entitled to their own opinions, and each individual investigator may have a different look. You heard Captain Tim Coop from the search and rescue say, we need a fresh set of bodies here and a fresh set of eyes. That's why we work in teams. Detectives don't just solve the case, one guy. It's always a team. So that's my take on it, Bill.
0: Yeah, well, I agree with you. Uh, Melinda, Sergeant Melinda, thank you so much for that $99 super chat. Uh, Matt Sully, thank you for the twenty dollars super chat, folks. Uh, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. I'm Sergeant Bill Cannon, retired NYPD, 27 year veteran. I've been teaming up a lot with Duty Ron. We have a good chemistry together. This is a very important case, and you know, we that are doing these podcasts, we were, you know, we're trying to help. We're from law enforcement. There are brothers in law enforcement. We're trying to help them in their efforts. We don't specifically, and I'm not to criticize other podcasters, but certain things aren't helpful, you know. And when you keep uh, interviewing major players in these cases, I don't think that helps the law enforcement. But in the same vein, law enforcement has to use the press to their advantage because that getting the information out there, uh, the press is, is so invaluable. I mean, there was reports that on the 15th there was a red pickup truck seen in the vicinity. Um, that may be a very integral piece of evidence. It may turn out to be not so, but the only people that know that for sure and why they're looking for this pickup truck is law enforcement. We can speculate in on the internet. We can speculate all over the place, but they're the only people that for sure know why this truck is a, um, is a piece of evidence of interest. I'll put it that way. NYPD, Captain, thank you so much. For the fourteen ninety nine chat, NYPD is, uh, is they're showing they're showing up in these chats, and I really appreciate that.
1: Love our brothers and sisters in blue, and I, these are these are folks that we were out there in the trenches with. So thank you so much, Captain, for the super chat, Bill. I want to expand a little bit on the red pickup truck. Okay, um, I did some of my own investigating, just as you have, and there's a lot of things that I looked into that I won't even talk about. But this one is out there. One of the, uh, the investigators from either the TBI or the FBI or the local gumshoes were going door to door. And here is a look at the overview of the property of the Wells home. There's a main house and there's a trailer that the grandmother lives uh, on just onto the side of that home. But as they were conducting their investigation, one of the investigators went to a neighbor. There's a look straight up at the house from the bottom of the hill. Um, one of the neighbors gave an investigator the red truck was in that area on june 15th in the late afternoon when she was reported missing uh, early um you know, dinner time so the information on that red truck is still very relevant because that could be the missing piece that we're looking for and updates on um, tbi's website as of today july 10th of 2021 over 900 tips called into to the 1-800-TBI-FINE, no leads are leading them to a conclusion. So it's an unfortunate thing. Thank you for putting duty, Ron, right across the screen. <laughs> um, but that is a that is a, a, a huge number that has swelled. It's swelling. And I want to also reiterate to the folks that are out there, the good, valid information, not the information that was Heard from three different people, and then it gets watered down and comes to you. When you get somebody that says to you, I have some good information, and I do the same thing when someone sends something into dutyround.com, I either tell them to send it to the TBI if it's good, or I'll do it for them. So I, I have forwarded several messages myself to 1 800 TBI Fine. Um, but, yeah, wa- over 900 tips, and that number just keeps swelling. So keep calling in those good tips. The investigators need that little critical piece. So we are counting on the public as well as the local law enforcement, federal, state, and local. So,
0: You know, Duty Ron, someone just uh, said in the chat, why haven't they put out a missing persons report? Well, an Amber Alert is a missing persons report. That warns, lets everyone know that this person is, is missing and there's heavy duty criteria to establish an amber alert, or else you know they'd be doing them every single day. So an amber alert is taken extremely seriously. Yeah, and Bill, has- and
1: ex- I can expand on that because sure. Wednesday Wednesday, June 16th, just a day after the parents reported uh, uh, summer wells missing. it was an endangered child alert for day one number one, going into day number two on the morning of Wednesday, June 16th. The TBI upgraded the endangered child alert to a full-fledged Amber alert after they said new information and growing concerns about the well-being of Summer Wells pr- prompted a statewide alert. So it happened within 24 hours. Uh, I think it was probably within 12 to 18 hours that an Amber alert was activated. And that's a missing persons report right there.
0: hundred percent. You know, I just want to get back to the, uh, to the husband, Don, and- For the untrained uh, investigator, he comes across as a very mellow guy, almost, uh, you know, a nice guy, a nice guy, almost like a minister, almost like a priestly. He comes across with that very soft tone, but he's got a hell of a criminal record and he's got violence in his criminal history and he's got he's had alcohol and drug problems. So to me, when I say in the victimology, the answer to this is going to be in the victimology. It's going to be in the people, either they, either Don or Candace, or the people that they surround themselves with. That's where the answer is going to come from. Because we, as we said before, that old expression, birds of a feather flock together. Who do you think he hangs with? Who do you we think they about? surround themselves yeah. with?
1: You know? Bill and I talked about this uh, on the phone today. You know, uh, we talk a lot behind the scenes about these cases and a lot of the things that we discuss we don't speak about on a live stream for uh, sensitivity issues and for investigative purposes but uh, we talked about this. Birds of a fle- feather flock together. You know, most folks who are committing uh, crimes don't hang out with goody-two-shirts and uh, that's the best way I can put it to you. Uh, you know, so again, the investigator's jobs are to talk to everybody and anybody that's affiliated or that's associated or that is uh, attached to the Donald Wells and to Candace Wells, Candace Bly-Wells. And that's why it takes so long because you're talking about a potential of maybe dozens of people, dozens and dozens of people to reach out to, you know, and they're going to want to talk to the people from the church. You know, you have this uh, friend that has spoken out recently on YouTube. I think his name is David Dodson from the church. I didn't listen to the interview, but a bunch of people sent me messages into dutyround.com about David Dodson. And I don't know anything about him, but at the end of the day, I can guarantee you this, that investigators are either right now know everything about him or will shortly soon know everything about him because he is going to get questioned as well. No stone gets left unturned. And you heard, uh, sheriff Lawson speak about this you heard uh the TBI uh spokesman and also the captain Tim coop from the search and rescue over in Hawkins these folks want to find summer wells that's what we are all here for we all want to find summer wells but we don't want to interfere you know and at the same time there's so much people there's so many people that want to help you know with resources I looked at the TBI website bill and I didn't tell you this but there was truckloads of food that was brought in from local businesses salads hand cleaner gloves boots you know, everything you name it it was there at that church so it was a beautiful outpour from the great folks of tennessee in eastern tennessee those those people are to be commended because they all stepped up the local businesses the local folks the, the parents the people that are in that community the church folks. Everybody stepped up, and that's what makes, uh, uh, that's what makes people
0: great. 100%. And uh, Joe Murray, thank you so much. The great attorney, Joe Murray, for the 999 Super Chat. Thank you for always watching our show, big supporter. SP, thank you for the $20 Super Chat. And, of course, uh, folks, I just uh, so appreciate everyone coming and listening to uh, Police Off the Cuff, and Duty Ron has given me a big boost in my numbers by sharing this on his channel. And I really, really appreciate that. One of the things I wanted to also talk about was that in in the timeline and in uh, Candace's story, she talks about them, uh, her, her grandmother, and uh, Summer putting flowers in around the house. And at some point, she walks uh, Summer into the house and she goes into the house to uh, purportedly to be with her brothers, who are on screen in that picture there. And then she- apparently... She goes downstairs to the playroom to play with her toys. Now, to me, one of the most important interviews in this whole case is the interview of those three boys. Did that even happen, what, what she said? Did, did, what Candace said, did that even happen? And the, if she went down into that basement, wouldn't she have had to come up or would she have come out the back door of that house? I don't know if that, that was a possibility. I think that would be the door right there that you see the arrow at. I've heard
1: there's only one way in and one way out. There's no secondary exit out of the basement. You got to come up and out through the door. So at least that's you, what I heard.
0: Right, so you can see what an important interview that would be because what they what they said would either confirm or deny what what their mother had said in regards uh, to her going down those stairs or coming back into the house.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, that interview with the children is is crucial, Uh, but they're not going to show their cards to us. It's just like, you know, you're you're in Vegas, and you're not going to show your hand when you're playing poker. You're going to just keep it. So um, the investigators are, you know, they know a lot more than we do, and they know a lot more than what's being reported. But at the end of the day, the kids are going to be crucial because no matter how much they could have been coached, and this is a possibility, I'm not saying that this is what happened, but no matter how much their father or mother said, "Hey, this is the story. Stick to it." Kids are kids, and if they are talked to and they are, um, you know, asked leading questions by, um, you know, by someone of authority or someone that they're comfortable with, I'm sure a social worker was in there or some type of Irma could probably expand on this. But if these kids are spoken to the right way, you can get the truth out of them because kids are uh, innocent and pure. Uh, so I think that. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if they did get a contradicting statement out of them, as you and I both know, that wouldn't be grounds to immediately arrest them and charge them. But it would certainly uh, raise the uh, raise the level uh, of the investigation to a whole different. But we are getting conversations now that this is um, uh, from coming from the sheriff that this is now deemed suspicious. So uh, we heard that verbiage with Orrin and Orson Westville over in California are little boys who are still missing uh, in California in Bakersfield. uh, We heard the sheriff and also um, the, the, not the sheriff, the uh, chief of the police, John Walker, he said, uh, suspicious circumstances. We're hearing that same verbiage here. And I think this is, um, you know, uh, the pieces of the puzzle coming together and it's slowly happening. And I know everybody's impatient, but at the end of the day, these things take you know, patience and, um, you know, focus to get the job done.
0: Well, you know, duty, Ron, one of the things is that people, um, especially with uh, the disappearance of a five-year-old girl, they expect results. They want right. results. And they, they should expect results from the police. But these cases are never, ever easy, you know. And, no. But one little piece of inf- information could be the smoking gun that solves this case. You know, there's a, there's a lot of convoluted information here. There's a lot of misinformation. And when, you do, when you're part of a large investigation, you have to vet all kinds of information and you have to check it against other things, either to confirm it or to eliminate it. And you Correct. know that that's what takes so much time. And in addition, at the same time, in this case, they're, they're searching the woods in very difficult terrain. I have a picture, I think, of how difficult the ter- terrain is. And-, yeah,
1: and the experts came out, Bill, uh, from the FBI, you know, their SART, the, the search and rescue teams. The, the pinpoint uh, to pinpoint it onto one agency would be, you know, uh, really wouldn't be fair. But so many different search and rescue rate agencies have joined forces and came as mutual aid in this uh, search for summer. So um, when I started doing my reading a couple of days ago about the different units that are there and they continue to, to provide, re, you know, they call them resources to, to continue to provide backfill, it's a tremendous effort that's been going on. And not just because on the 28th they said it's they're shutting down the big operation at the church I think they felt that they had to give the church back over to the parishioners you know they they basically took over that property and, and the church these people want to go back and pray right. uh, and also there's there's the other aspect of this investigation if you covered 4.6 acres of property to search they work from the inside out once you cover that and go over it once or twice or three times, or whatever they did now you have to now you have to pinpoint your investigation on the forensics on the electronics um you know getting all of the computer forensics and working that aspect of it and i think that's what's going on right now uh and and, and they're also as they get information still going back out but i want to say a special thank you to everyone here in the chat from the duty ron family i see everybody positively interacting in the chat maddie boy sully that man dawn marie uh Phoebe, thank you so much for being in here. I can't say how um, how important it is for a channel like this and a channel like myself to exist and coexist. Is when we share, as Bill likes to say, the cross pollination. When we <laughs> share, when we share our subscribers and our friends. I like to refer to everyone as friends. Um, it's it's so great to see them all interacting in the chat, and um, they're also pleasant and and, and really. Um, complimentary. So thank you to everybody here in the chat. It's great to see everybody, uh, even though I'm not uh, going to you live from duty, Run, I'm here with Police Off the Cuff, and I'm honor, honored to be here and to be a part of this uh, panel with Bill. So thank you, Bill.
0: Thank you, duty, Run. i just like to shout out to some of the folks. Uh, Austin Spriggs, Black Rose, thank you for the $2 super chat. Of course, Joe Murray, Rabbit Culture, Crazy Diamond. Uh, I'm seeing some names and folks. If you're new, Please subscribe to the Police Off the Cuff uh, channel on YouTube. We also have a Patreon. Uh, become a member of our Patreon. We have three tiers: one uh, for seven dollars a month, a month called Polish My Rack; one for nine dollars a month called uh, Excuse me, seven, the first one is the Bucket Seven. Nine dollars a month is Polish My Rack, and eleven is Dipped in Butter. And everyone likes it Dipped in Butter, so that's why it costs more. It costs more. <laughs>
1: Yeah, listen, I uh, I hope I can get one of those police off-the-cuff mugs uh, dipped in butter. I'd love to show it off during my live streams. Uh, but, yeah, you guys can always support by going over to their Patreon page and, you know, becoming a subscriber and uh, also here with the Super Chat, so it's always greatly appreciated. Um, I got to say quickly, Bill, um, you know, we talk about timelines and how vague they are, and the reason they're vague is because we really don't know whether they're true or not, but they, they are there, and they're on paper. Um, you know, June 15th is the day that uh, uh, she was reported missing, and here we are, July 10th, uh, with no really set answers. And they stopped giving these news conferences, but as of today, the updates came in from TBI, and they talk about still wanting to question the red uh, vehicle. We're going to link that in the description and the 1-800-TBI-TIPS line, but um, I wanted to talk quickly. I don't know if you mind going into this, but we have – this is not the first um, run-in with somebody going missing. Uh, in August 21st of 2009, um, Kansas' sister, Rose Marie Bly, mysteriously went missing from St. Croix uh, Falls, Wisconsin. Now, I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right, but it's, uh, uh, it's in, in Wisconsin – 12 years ago, come the 21st of next month, uh, she left her home to meet a friend, uh, a cousin, actually at a bar, a friend and a cousin. She left it around um, like eight or nine o'clock at night and said to, to her husband that she'd be home by midnight. It was only five miles away, and she just vanished off the face of the earth. Two days later, her car was found 30 miles away at a truck stop. So these are things that happen under suspicious circumstances, and this is like a detective's notebook, right? Look at how many pages are ripped out. These are all the cases that I've covered. This thing was brand new. This is what we do when we try to keep, um, you know, our, our cases in order. But what I found very odd about Kansas, um, uh, the mom, when she was asked and spoke about her her sister, she she exhibited the same very low-key, no, um, no emotion, no concern she just said isn't it terrible how people can go missing without a trace and she didn't even say in the same sentence like my daughter but she just very 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 low-key said yeah it's a it's a shame you know we don't she just vanished and they use that terminology when they refer later on to their daughter that she that she just vanished she just disappeared so I, I don't know about you, Bill, but I find that very coincidental. I mean, people have multiple crimes happen to families. You know, we, we have people that, you know, brothers, and, uh, both brothers get shot over in uh, Brownsville and East New York and in some of the worst parts of New York. Uh, and, and you just say, oh, well, then, you know, you're playing that game. You're in the life. But what's, what's, the, uh, what's the excuse here for these folks?
0: You know, duty, Ron, I find her behavior very disconcerting. Very unusual for someone that is facing the potential loss of her daughter. And the fact that she reacted the same exact way in regards to her sister disappearing is, to me, is very disconcerting. You know, I wanted to just also interject something is that when we had the panel, uh, I, I believe it was on um, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night with the whole NYPD crew. Was Wednesday, Wednesday. Yep. I can't even keep track of the days here. You know, that, you, is, that is the way that when real investigators get together with a case, that is the way you, I used to call it hypothesizing and theorizing. In fact, I used to yell at some of my detectives, I would say, stop hypothesizing and theorizing and start typoizing your reports, you know. But that is the way that you solve things by throwing things out to each other and let it bounce off people. And use all the investigative minds and let them make suggestions and say, "Nah, I don't think that's the way we should go. Or this is the way we should go. Or how about this? I didn't know we said that. Well, okay. Well, go check it out. You go interview so-and-so. Get back to me and let me know what occurred. That is how cases get solved. And I know that, you know, the local police here, the TBI, the FBI, they're doing that. They're sharing information. They're speaking among themselves. And pretty much one of the things that in, in one way it's impressive, but in, uh, in another way it's a little frustrating for the public is that they're not sharing the meat and potatoes of this case with the public, and they they, pro- they have good reason not to. But I just Correct. want people to know that's what they're doing. It's not that they're not making any, any uh, forward progress in this case. They are, but they're not just sharing it out there because you could see the internet goes crazy with rumors and itself it's as we spoke about the other night, it's like playing telephone. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, hundred percent, right. You know, uh, there's so many as- aspects to this investigation that goes on behind the scenes that we never know. And that we're not going to speak about, uh, you have a whole slew of sex offenders in that area. You know, um, too many to mention here. The numbers were astronomical when I looked them up last week. But they have to go out and interview every one of these sex offenders. They need to go, and obviously we know that's part of the checklist. They're going to go to everyone that's still there and that's available to see in person and question them. Hey, where were you on June 15th? Do you have an alibi? Do you have someone who can verify it? Because these sex offenders, they sign a, a release and an agreement to, um, it's almost like parole. They're, they're like signing some of their rights away when they get released into the communities. We know that we have, by, by law, we have to get notified. In my own neighborhood here, I get, I, I'm, I'm subscribed to the notification list. So if a sex offender uh, makes a makes house here in my neighborhood, I know about it and I keep my eye on, it, on them. You You can bet your bottom dollar these investigators are going to each and every one of these sex offenders that reside in Hawkins County and that is in that area, and they are questioning them. So that in itself is a big undertaking. It's a lot of work. You know how these things go. Sometimes you can't get a hold of them. You got to tri- you got to make the trip back. You got to keep coming back. You got to get a hold of these people. So that's why this stuff takes time.
0: You know, and also duty, Ron. And this was a big thing with the NYPD is to debrief people who get arrested, because people that get arrested, especially if they're facing a a big charge, they want to talk. They want to tell you what they know and to trade it for a, a court consideration. So that's Thanks all very, yeah, that's yeah. all very important too. And also keeping, uh, you know, your ear to the ground with parole and with probation, because the people right. that are always involved with the criminal justice system, these are the people we're interested in talking to. Angie Ang, thank you so much for that 999 super chat. I think Angie Ang, you know, is probably showing up for Joe in court because he's He's so busy with his uh with his, with his lawyer work. He's got to he's got to send Angie because he can't handle it all, you know.
1: And not only that, we grab him to come on our podcast all the time. So oh, he's the, a, the, he's the, the appearances on Deuteron, yeah, the appearances on duty, Ron, the appearances on police off the cuff. This guy is uh, he's, he's a superstar. Like, yeah. I'm just
0: gonna I'm just gonna do a little quick shout out to him. There's uh, Joe Murray is a friend of the show of police off the cuff. They a lot of the women are calling him now the silver fox. Uh, oh, yeah. he's, a, he's a great attorney. He was a, he's a retired NYPD police officer. He was a former member of the PBA boxing team. He was a heavyweight. I won't tell you his whole boxing history, but he's a pretty good fighter, too. And he has a website, jmurray-law.com. And uh, God forbid you get in trouble. But if you do and you're in the New York area, give Joe Joe Murray a call. 646-838-1702. Joe Murray, great attorney, great friend of the show. The only
1: thing we're missing is Phil Grimaldi to do that because he does it better than anybody. <laughs> oh, maybe, Phil you should record him. maybe you should record him and just put Phil on every time. I probably
0: I probably let me just hit, hit the uh, Myrtle Beach crew and then uh, Okay. If anyone of you folks are looking to move down south to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Carol Waters is a realtor down there. She's a former bartender at Fitzpatrick's Hotel in New York City. And her husband, Rob Mahon, was a former NYPD who rolled over to the fire department. They both moved down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and they're a team selling real estate down there. So whether you need a condo or a vacation home, or you're looking to move down there for good, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681. Or you can hit her up on the uh, on email, Carol Waters Sells Mb at gmail.com. You know, it's uh, this case is uh, is baffling duty, Ron. And it's like there's so many um, Things in in this case that we can't explain, and I say it all the time, we're not right. privy. We're not privy to the case folder, and yeah. maybe some no. of the things that we don't understand right now, if we were in fact working on the case, we had the case folder in front of us, we would understand what the missing pieces.
1: Right, you know, I I, I look at the, a little bit of what goes on uh, in in you know in in the chat. You know, not here in these live chats, but like in my replays and in other people's chats. And, you know, a lot of the folks that are in the chat come up with some good questions and good uh, possibilities. You know, and we all know about the chances of a stranger abduction are very low. We've talked about it. I had Mark Class from the Class Kids Foundation. Come on, when we did our live stream about Oren and Orson West, you were there with me. He said those are very remote cases, and they happen few and far between. But each individual case has a possibility. And as the sheriff and the TBI and FBI, as they say, we are not discounting any possibility here. So they're looking right now at every possibility. So for the folks who are saying, well, they're not looking here, they're not looking there, they're not doing this, listen, these are human beings, and they're only they're, they can only work so fast. But they are doing their uh, they're doing their jobs, and they're dotting their eyes and crossing their T's. However, to dot your eyes and cross your T's, it takes time, and that's where where we as human beings we get impatient, and we all say, "Hey, I want answers, and I want it now." You know, and if you don't give me the answers now, I'm gonna kick and, and scream and pout, and that's what we do. And that's unfortunate, but it's human nature. I want to just say one other thing, too. You know, we're not here uh, saying that the mom and dad are guilty. What we're saying here is that they are red flags as investigators. And when we've conducted hundreds, potentially thousands of investigations, I've sat in on so many different interrogations and interviews uh, I've debriefed every single uh, warrant return that I've that I've done over my over a decade time in, in fugitive enforcement. So every single person I came in contact with sometimes it was over thirty a month. I would I would debrief them. So uh, we know when we see someone telling a story to us that when something doesn't sound right and I say I call it it doesn't smell right. I said that from the get go when I saw Just Don speak and then when I saw her speak. But I want to bring up a point of one thing that Kansas said. She mentions in her story uh, that they went to this watering hole to kill some time to uh, wait for a Walgreens prescription for her mother, who we don't know if she brought the mom to the hospital or who brought the mom to the hospital. She was in the hospital. We don't know if she got a procedure or what she did, but they needed to get a prescription from Walgreens and then pick her up. So there was time that Kansas said that she took to go to this watering hole and let Summer swim a little bit with another friend or with a 15 year old. We're not going to get into that, but you know, we know that the police will interview and have interviewed uh, that, that boy and probably his parents. But at the end of the day, she made some statements there that were odd to me when she was talking about, she loses track of time when she's having fun. Like for me, that's just not something that I would be saying if my mom was in the hospital and I was waiting to get her and waiting to get a prescription filled, I wouldn't be having fun. It would be more of an urgent urgency for me to get her, get her medicine and get her settled in. And then returning home in that same breath, returning home and with a mom who just had some kind of procedure. Now, whose mom? I don't know how old this woman is, but I got to assume she's older than 40 or 50 because that's how old she is in her 40s or whatever. The mom has to be in her 60s or 70s at his procedure at the hospital, and now she wants to plant flowers outside. The whole story stinks, mm-hmm. and there's no yeah. sugar coating it. There's no getting around it, and I don't care who or what says, "Duty, Ron, you're wrong, but that's my thing as an investigator. This story stinks.
0: Yeah, I don't like it either. You know, I also, we, we were touching upon before that Don is not a good guy, you know. And yep. Terry O'Brien in the chat says, Donald Wells, 56, was arrested at his home on October 14, 2020, in charged with domestic assault, possession of a handgun <clears throat> while intoxicated, and unlawful possession of a weapon, after he reportedly came home intoxicated and found a male at home with his wife.
1: So he was in. The, he was in his car getting ready to leave. The sheriff blocked him in. Took right. him out of his car with a loaded gun on him.
0: Right, exactly. So gone. that little monotone voice and that real mellow sound—that uh, sort of belies his personality—is really. He's got some really bad things in his, his background. Right,
1: I have his whole arrest record here. It goes back to the '90s, early '90s. But at the end of the day, uh, Bill. This is a guy who went to prison and did time in Utah. He's from Utah, she's from Wisconsin. They transplanted down to uh, to Tennessee because they moved from place to place so many times. I looked up their uh, their address history. It was like it was like three sheets of locations where these people live.
0: And doing so, well, think, that's a sign of instability too.
1: obviously yeah, if you they do- don't have any community ties because they move from place to place. But, Bill, that doesn't say that they're guilty of a crime here. Of course not. But what it does does tell me, though, is that this is a guy who did time. And you and I both know when people are in Sing Sing and doing a a bid upstate New York, what happens to them? They all of a sudden rediscover God. They all of a sudden become godly because they got a lot of time to think about their crimes. So most prisoners and most uh, career criminals, and unfortunately, he's a career criminal. Anybody that competes completely – keeps reoffending is classified as a career criminal he's a career criminal he's got a rap sheet a mile long he became godly because he was incarcerated and locked up if you don't like it too bad that's the truth
0: yeah no that look there's uh, his, his his career his past career you know tells us who he is today and just not it's not just that hanging out in that hold that whole prison mentality. You know, as I said before, birds of a feather flock together, and as Correct. much as he, as he comes across in in his interviews uh, as a good guy, he's not a good guy. You know, he's—I'll uh, no. put no. it that way—he's not a good guy. Lieutenant no. Pranzo, I know you're. Uh, it was your birthday yesterday, but I'll I'll That's shout it out one more. I'll shout it out one more day for you, Lieutenant Pranzo, NYPD Harlem Raiders, fame, great great guy. He's uh, he's always in our. Wishing
1: wishing Pete many more healthy and happy years with his beautiful wife, Richella. Uh, what a great, what a great, uh, family they are. I can't wait to meet them. They're local here for me. So, uh, yeah, happy, happy birthday, Pete, much, uh, much love and respect to you. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, sometimes our opinions and our professional take is not really, well, um, the etiquette is not right, but at the at the end of the day, you know, I've seen so many shitheads, and I, I hate to use that term. I've seen so many shitheads commit crimes that look me straight in the face and say, "Detective, I didn't do this." And then, meanwhile, I go right to the bodega and I get the I get the am videotape of them punching somebody in the face and stabbing somebody. Right, right. So um, you know, we know how this goes, and um, you know, only time will tell. You know, uh, Walgreens has. Uh, cameras and they have video footage, if she says that she walked in or her mother walked in with, with Summer, whatever the case may be at the secondary store where they got that milk and all the things that they do, I tell you, um, you know, they're going to have a lot of things to look at and to add up and, and, and see. Does her story jive? Does her story jive with, with the videotapes that we see in the Walgreens and at these locations? We know that her time is wrong, so her times are wrong.
0: Yeah, duty, Ron, just uh, to interject, Joe Murray just asked the, the attorney, great attorney Joe Murray. Uh, do we know if they're still cooperating and whether or not they have retained counsel or declined okay. to questions of client the polygraph?
1: So, so I know that they haven't retained counsel, uh, and they don't look like they'd be able to afford counsel. I mean, that, that's just my opinion. I don't think she works. I think he's working. Uh, it doesn't look like they're, you know, living in, uh, you know, upper, you know, upper class or whatever you want to call it. They're, you know, they're, you know, they're scraping to get by and and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't look like they uh, can afford a private attorney. And in this situation, they'd have to hire and pay an attorney unless they hey, do a duty
0: Run, we don't, we don't want Joe Murray flying to Tennessee right now. You know? No, he can't. He can't. <laughs> he has to stay in New York. Um,
1: but uh, the husband said that the, his wife passed the polygraph. We, as I'm telling you, I, you know you know this, I, we go by what law enforcement says, and not one blurb came out of CBI or FBI or local sheriff that any of them passed or took a polygraph. So um, if somebody has them saying that or uh, has a statement from TBI or FBI or local sheriff, send it to me on dutyron.com because I'd like to see it. But as of this time, I have yet to see or hear any confirmation from law enforcement. If you've heard it from somebody on Facebook or Twitter or on social media, I don't want to hear about it, you know,
0: because you know, dude, duty, Ron, a lot of people will want to know, um, where, where's the investigation go from here. And basically yeah. what I would tell people is that they just keep pushing forward. They just keep coming into work every day, keep interviewing people, keep cross checking information, uh, We haven't heard much about the electronic information, uh, cell phones, the computers, uh, even there is technology sometimes where you can actually check all of the um, electronic devices in a specific area, which they might want to try to do right by that house at 630 at night on uh, Friday, uh, June 15th. And that that potentially could, uh, you know, get some good information. But we don't I, I, know any, any about that end of the investigation.
1: Correct, correct. And you know, it would be it would be it would be not right for us to say, uh, inf- or talk about information that we have no facts or you know or no confirmation of. Somebody just said in the chat, and I have to re- I have to shout this out. I don't I can't find the name, but they said uh, Duty Ron. They have money to pay for cigarettes and twisted teas. But they certainly don't have money to pay for an attorney. So I thought that was kind of humorous and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of true. You know, um, you know, again, if they could find an attorney that would work pro bono in eastern Tennessee, attorney that would try to pick up a case like this that is so um on I, what's the best word I could use. It's so not stable. It's all over the place. Right, and, right. And, you know, you don't see them out searching for their kids. You don't see them handing out flyers. You know, I, I the only thing I see from them is that they do some interviews with the, with the news and um, some other people on Facebook live or whatever, you know, YouTube or whatever stuff that they've done. Um, you know, it's more, it's more stuff. The more they talk, the more ammo, I think the investigators have, and, you know, more power to them. If, you know, they're innocent and they're, it's proven that they're innocent and we need to still find out what happened to the, to, to their daughter. Uh, and they don't seem like the urgency is of high matter to them. At least that's what they're projecting to me. And, And I could be wrong and people can agree to disagree with me and I respect that. But at the end of the day, that's my opinion as a seasoned investigator. I see them both as something's not right. Something's not up. Uh, something's not kosher with them. Right. I'll put it to you you that. know,
0: Duty Ron, someone in the chat, uh, above and beyond ancestor readings, thank you so much for the $10 super chat, but they said, what is done in the dark will always come to light. Law enforcement will soon have all they need to press charges. Trust the process.
1: Bingo, Yahtzee you know? Perfect. Perfectly said. Uh, you know,
0: something, and and there is a process and there is, I think good always trumps evil. It'll right. always win out over evil, but you have to have patience and, you know, when you talk about a missing five-year-old girl, none of us want to have patience, you know? yeah, And yeah. we all understand why the community is getting upset about this and people are saying, you know, in the chat, why hasn't this been solved yet? But right, right. this, is, this yeah. is a difficult case, you know?
1: There's so much information and there's so much misinformation and there's so many people talking about all different things. And you know what? Listen, a lot of the things that people are talking about can have some relevance, but a lot of it doesn't have any relevance. And it doesn't lead us to what happened to, to Summer. Summer Wells is a five-year-old girl that we we don't know what happened to. We have no idea. According to her parents, she hmm. vanished in what she said, two minutes now we can argue that she loses track of time and her two minutes was 20 minutes, but that's neither here nor there. But what we have on the plate is that she let the girl go in the house. She disappeared and did whatever. She didn't say what she did. We don't, we don't know what she did. Did she go on a hike when she said she doesn't go hiking because she scanned of the wildlife? Where did she go for 20 minutes or two minutes? Where do you go? And then how does this girl just all of a sudden – vanish in the middle of the woods, in the middle of nowhere. You you showed that overview. It's not a place that someone just stumbles across and says, oh, I'm going to hang out here and wait for an opportunity for me to take this little girl. You know, I mean, you, you heavily wooded. Look, look at that. I mean, so it's not a place that cars just go right and by. And people that drive down those roads drive down those roads for a purpose. So there's a lot to figure out. From the investigative side, and it's up to the TBI and the FBI. I have every confidence in the world that between the um, resources that the FBI and TBI have to them uh, uh, available to them, that they will sort this thing out. It may take a long time, or it may may happen quick. Uh, it all depends on what what comes to the forefront. When, whatever comes to the forefront, I'm hoping it happen sooner than later because my main concern is about the about Summer Wells, not about anything else. Whoever did this to him, justice will be served, and that long arm of the wall will come out and grab him, I'm sure.
0: You know, uh, duty, Ron, as you, when you see that aerial view of the house, which I have on the screen mm-hmm. right now, in addition to it, uh, the, the terrain being extremely unfriendly, uh, allegedly they have 20 or more dogs on their property. Yeah, so sort of I if, heard. If, if, uh, if whoever, if Summers was in fact taken from the property, it would have to be someone maybe that knew these dogs, you know, or else I'm sure right. these dogs right. uh, would attack yeah. someone that they didn't know,
1: you know? So it's, it's, it's argued that, you know, who cares if it's seven or 20 dogs? See, these are the, in these are the things that are irrelevant, that mean nothing to finding out what happened to her, whether there was a hundred dogs there, whether it was five, or seven, or 20, it doesn't mean anything. There's dogs. My dog, if someone comes to my door, is barking like crazy. So, um, it could have been one dog, and it would make noise. So, I I think you are right. The kids hold the answers. Those boys hold the answers, if she even was at that house, if that story even is true. Like we talked about with Truzel and Jacqueline West, their story is the same thing. It even stinks worse because we have video evidence that the kids never left that house in California city. So their story smells and stinks to high heavens, Trizelle and Jacqueline West, even worse than the Wells story here. But the Wells story, we don't have video to back it up in California. There's video to show that they were full of shit and that they that those kids never went wandering out that gate in the backyard. So that makes it even more, um, uh, stronger evidence than what we have here. We're going by what she's telling us. Is that story in fact true? There's so many unanswered questions. And for me, I don't like it. I, I think that that there's a 50-50 chance that that story is bullcrap.
0: Well, duty, Ron, that's why investigators have to question everyone that is in the circle of uh, of these people, you know, of Don and, uh, and his wife, because... Uh, Canvas, Don and Candace. that's in their circle has to be questioned, re-questioned. When they get their information, they have to vet the information, check out the statements they made against what they know, check out the statements against what other people have said, and therein somewhere lies the truth.
1: You know, there's two sides to every story, and then there's the truth, it, just as you just said in a different way. Uh, at the end of the day, my feeling is is that I got a really bad vibe from right from the get-go. And I was away. I was outside the country when this all unfolded, so I really couldn't chime in on it until I came back. But once I came back, I got a good look at the interview with Don, and Kansas didn't even have an interview yet until I came back home. And then when I saw them both together, it even stunk even more to me. And, you know, I don't, um, I, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, i have all the answers. This is just my, uh, my, my investigative skills tell me that this is, there's something not right here. Everything about this story doesn't add up. And I know that our partners in the FBI and the CBI, they see it as well. They're just not vocalizing. We have the option. We have the availability to vocalize it. Um, but, You know, again, it's going to the evidence is going to lead them to it. The interviews are going to lead them to it. And I'm hoping the electronic, you know, these these folks don't seem like they've got burner phones and threw their phones away. Their Internet searches, everything that they searched on their computers, on their cell phones, all of her TikTok videos, all the things that she searched in her Google search bar, whatever she did, whether she erased it or not. They're going to get it, and they've got it. They're processing it. They're looking at it. And I think and I hope that that will lead to some answers. If she communicated with Don when everything happened and they conjured up some plan, I don't think they were smart enough to go out and get burner phones and get rid of them. That's just my two cents.
0: Well, you know, we discussed, and I don't want to get into it at this late point, uh, we discussed how um, instead of her calling 911, she called Don. And to me, to me, that was a little bit strange, you
1: know, right? Because yeah. if
0: she was really missing, wouldn't you want to call the police and immediately get them there? Uh, yeah. you know, he, he's at work. I, I would want to call the police first, but she called him first. and then You know, it's
1: it's funny, Bill. I asked my wife this today when we were out to get together, because I knew we were going to get together and talk about this. And I asked my wife, if our boys went missing uh, when they were younger, would you have called me first? And she said, yeah. She would have called me, but she would have immediately called 911. And Kansas didn't do that. She didn't do the call to him and then the next call to 911. We're going to come to see that because eventually that will come to light. Um, she took some time to call 911. It wasn't right away. And anybody that has that information, anybody that has that 911 timestamp, you'll know that there was a delay in her making that call to 911. So that's also something of concern um, to me.
0: Well, you know, duty, Ron, that's why, to me, it's frustrating to uh, not have the exact information from the police and from the correct investigative information. Just getting it secondhand from the Internet is not.
1: uh, Right. Right. That's a problem. And I got to say this. My wife also added in that she would have called me because when our kids were little like that, I was an active detective. So it's it's a little different, you know, like she knew, uh, she said, I knew that you would tell me what to do, you know? So she, she said, you would, it would have been you to call first and then call 9 So.
0: Right. Well, you know, I, as I said earlier in this show, uh, we just want to sort of lay out some of the investigative things that the uh, police, the FBI are doing in no way will we, from our pulpit here, uh, on police off the cuff real crime stories, or on the Duty Ron show have any chance at all of solving this case, nor will any of the other internet sleuths that think they have all the answers here. This case is going to be solved by the police.
1: It's not our so- job.
0: <laughs> no, we're sort of just talking about it uh, to, to sort of lay, lay some things out there and and, and basically uh, you know review the case and, and, and right. maybe give some suggestions.
1: You know, and that's a lot of what we have to do, Bill. You and I talk about this privately, but we could talk about it here. It's about education. You know, these, the the folks that are into true crime and the folks that are into investigative stories, they want to learn. You know, you hear so many of the folks who watch CSI-type shows, and you know what they say, I want to learn about what goes on in the lab. I want to know what, you know, how they uh, process DNA. So we give really the police perspective, the investigator's perspective, without giving away the shot. And Joe Murray is throwing his money at you. Bill, you might have to get a poll to start dancing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. But you know something, Joe Murray, he again says, uh, and we said this before, the problem is that we don't have the case file, we don't have the DD5s of all the uh, other interviews and tips about the people in the community that may be suspect. We we'll only have the parent statements, and that is frustrating. That's correct. Yeah. Because even the the tip file, and if there's eight hundred tips or eight hundred fifty tips, there has to be eight hundred and fifty reports yeah. on the results yeah. of the interview on the tip. You know. Correct.
1: Correct. And and we're like you said, we're not looking to we're not looking to solve the case. No retired detective wants us you know, go out there and do the job of an active on-duty investigator. But what we do here is to give people an idea of what goes on a little bit behind the scenes and the reason why it takes so long from somebody who has actually done the job. So that's the perspective, and that's what you get. If you guys have not considered subscribing to Police Off the Cuff, please hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell. So anytime Bill uploads a video or goes live, you'll get the notification. He's a 27-year veteran of New York City Police Department. He spent 16 of those 27 years as a sergeant in the Homicide Squad in Manhattan North, one of the busiest places in the five boroughs. So give Bill a, a, a subscription. Check him out. Follow him on all of his social media and all the good things that he's doing. Make sure you subscribe to Duty Run as well if you're not yet subscribed. But I wanted to say on Sunday, June 27th, the TBI scaled back their um, search efforts. And a lot of people went into a whole tizzy about that. Oh, they're giving up. They're packing it in. They're not going to be doing anything. But what they say in their press releases were search efforts. In the, in the search for wells, we're scaling back our search efforts due to the difficult terrain and exhausting crews both physically and mentally. The search efforts will continue on a more specialized, team basis, and it's as needed and directed from local, state, and federal authorities. Just because we may not have been seen in such a large presence anymore in and throughout the area, rest assured that we have not quit, and we won't quit until we find Summer Wells. So that's a powerful statement. They said on June 27th, that they won't quit until they find Summer Wells. And the sheriff has said it, the TBI has said it, and the FBI continues to stand uh, arm-to-arm with the investigative team. And then you have people that are coming from all the different search uh, crews that have given their time and and have conducted these searches. The crews searched more than 4,600 acres uh, since June 15th. So it's a lot of ground that's being covered. Everybody has to be patient and has to understand that this process takes time. We have to support and get behind our law enforcement. I sent over $500 towards the reward money to Civis Bank with the young man who came onto my show. And um, he was highlighted on the news. Unbelievable, Trevor. Uh, He he donated $2,000 of his own money, a 19-year-old kid from Tennessee uh, Community College. The kid is just wanting to find out what happened to this girl. And the whole community feels the same way. So I say special thank you to everybody who puts their heart into it and that really puts the effort forward. No matter what it is, conversation, talking with your friends about it, sharing videos, you guys are excellent. So I'm giving a big thumbs up to everybody in the chat and all the people from the great state of Tennessee for everything that you guys continue to do to help law enforcement find summer wells. That's what this is about.
0: You know, and duty, Ron, lastly, someone in the chat says, uh, for truth or tradition says this is a job for Jesus. And surely prayer in this incident it can't hurt at all. You know, prayers can help. and I think that if you want to pray uh, for um, the recovery of, sh- of summer and uh, please do so, uh, I think that can only help. Anyway, you know, I, do I, ahead, but Robert, I also sorry.
1: want to say I want to also say not just summer, all of the children and all missing people across the country and of course the world for that matter. You know we have so many people who are outstanding. You know Echo Lloyd. You got the two boys. You have uh, Maya Miliete. and there's hundreds, thousands of others that don't get this big platform. They're not out there on the grand stage. So my heart and my prayers and my 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 sincere feelings go out to all of the families and all the folks across the globe who are missing their loved ones. You know, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a shame that we have to have this going on in 2021 where people go missing and they just vanish. So we're looking for closure for all the victims and their families across the globe. So thank you, Bill, for hosting this and having me on. I know you can take it. You know, to get, you know,
0: you know, duty Ron, I really, I really appreciate uh, having you on. And uh, in a lot of ways, you've been my, uh, sort of like a mentor to me in the, in this style of, uh, of show. A lot of the shows on police off the cuff of the um, format where we have a guest and we interview the guest and we talk about, the guest career and all of that stuff, which is great, which is fascinating. We've had some amazing guests on like, you know, Joe Pastone, who's the real Donnie Brasco he has been on twice. We've had Joe Murray, who's has a, you know, a fascinating career. And we've had some awesome. of the best, most amazing NYPD superstars who get to tell the stories of their career or else these stories would die with them. And, you know, yeah. no, no one else likes to hear. Well, actually the public likes to hear it too, but, other cops love to hear war stories. They love to hear cops tell war stories. And usually war stories are told in a bar and you, you, they tell the stories and you have a lot of laughs and no one ever gets to hear them again. But we've sort of memorialized a lot of these great stories so that, you yeah. know, one day maybe you could say, Hey, that was my granddad. Look what right. he did. You know, and, and you hear these amazing, amazing stories. Chief Louis Anamone, who was the chief of the department, great man. We've had him on a couple of times. I mean, I can We've had over 290 shows, so I can't even tell you. Mike um, Mike, Mike Heinrichs, uh, yeah, one of the right. most highly decorated detectives, was to medal day four times at 212 department citations, two medals Man. of valor, two combat crosses. I mean, these are the superstars that we've interviewed. But as I said, Duty Ron has sort of steered me to do a lot more of these shows, the investigative shows, and I really thank him for that because – as a result of duty, Ron, my um, subscriptions are, are going up uh, astronomically. And I really well, uh, owe that to him.
1: You know what I feel? Thank you, Bill. And you know what? I feel that you have a lot to contribute in this uh, in this true crime genre because of your experience. You know, I wouldn't recommend this to someone who, you know, pushed a pencil and worked inside and was a house mouse. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that you, this is right up your alley. And I think the folks here in the chat will agree with me, they want more of somebody like yourself and all of the great guests that you have available to you. And I use some of them as well. And I have a ton that I could, you know, go and call uh, from our experience on the New York City Police Department. So when you do a career that's spanned over 27 years, and mine was just a little bit over 20, you know, you make so many connections and contacts. So I think you're an invaluable asset to the true crime community, to the folks here who love to hear about cases and what's going on with them and uh, you're going to do great so again you know to everybody that's come over and that's here and that's new uh for all the folks that are watching outside the country and and on the replay for the folks who watch on a replay we love you on the replay as well so thank you for that bill i gotta go because it's past my bedtime
0: yeah you know Uh, something that we actually stayed on longer than we uh we had intended but uh you know, when we get talking, uh, we don't even have to be drinking a Corona. We, we just uh, sort of keep talking. And uh, I hope the people in the live chat and the people that are listening to it enjoyed the show. I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. And for my guest, uh, Duty Ron, good night, everyone. Peace.